0: Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. A young a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. You say best. That's hard to define. Competition was extremely
1: Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. The and I felt Okay, so for a real topic today, we want to talk about chess variants. So, um, uh, Gopal, chess variants are they are they just like the lesser form of chess? Are they like the uh, you know the black sheep or the what are some other euphemisms like the the redheaded stepchild? Are they the the forgotten? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, like what?
0: We are the forgotten. What,
1: we are the forgotten. What are variants? Are they just this thing or?
0: But. I mean, yeah, they're a thing. They're they're a great thing. Um, but yeah, they. I feel like they're viewed kind of with, I don't know, just not the same uh, prestige or respect, like importance. Re- they're not given the same respect, at least amongst you know certain, like like the top players, or I, w- I would say like your average grandmaster. You know, for instance, my kind of scoff the idea of some variants like, but it seems to change, you know, with younger, pl- younger players, but, but yeah, I would definitely say like, you know, they're like some, like a lot of the variants, you know, are, are very legitimate. I think some could even be the future of chess, but it's interesting. Uh,
1: Cause I agree with you. And there was yeah. like a, you know, there was a Twitter question about this recently. Like what is, what is the future of chess or no, I think it was, um, It was like, give us your your bad chess take or something. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, you're like the the general Twitter roaster here. You're the supreme Mm -hmm. commander of Twitter roasts. Um, And my, my bad or hot chess take was that Crazy House is the future of chess.
0: Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's something we've discussed before, but now we have to infect the rest of the world with our opinion. (laughs) <laughs> all right i want to get into
1: that and i want to i want to spread the crazy house um uh virus boy what a horrible analogy for a current time uh to our yeah. listeners but i you know before we do that i kind of think it would be fun to start here what, let's let's make our variant rankings like what is the best variant and what is the worst variant and you can start wherever you want you can start best oh, worst, geez. or in the middle i've got my worst already if that will help you
0: uh is it racing kings
1: are you kidding? No way, dude. Bracing Kings is like top three for me. I love
0: Bracing Kings. Ew. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I haven't played it enough. That's why, look, I don't want to be like the people we're uh, talking shit about and like poo poo these variants without, su- without like without sufficient knowledge, you know, That's of what fair. they're right, all exactly. about or a deeper understanding. So, you don't I mean, just for me, me personally. Like I mean, we've like I've I've seen you play. Like we've talked about it. Uh, I mean that probably would be the lowest. Racing for Kings for you, really? Yeah. Hmm,
1: okay. So for for listeners who don't know what Racing Kings is, and I'll and I'll explain what it is, and then I'll also sort of give evidence as to why I like it so much. Um, racing Kings, you have no pawns. You have only your pieces: so king, queen, two rooks, two bishops, two knights. And both colors, black and white, are arranged at the bottom of the chessboard, so rows 1 and 2. So the white pieces are between the square e1, e2, and h1, h2. And Gopal, if I remember correctly, I think the king starts on h2, right?
0: Yeah, I believe so, yeah. starting
1: position is king h2, queen h1, rook g2, rook g1, and then bishops and knights. You can kind of visualize it that way. And black is an exact mirror. So I think black, like the Knights start off on D1, D2, Bishop, C1, C2, Rooks, B1, B2, Queen, A1, King, king
0: A2. A2. Yeah,
1: right. So you can kind of visualize that starting position. It's really weird. And you win by getting your King to reach the eighth rank, <coughs> hence the name Racing Kings.
0: It, but you cannot put your, put the opponent's King in check, correct?
1: Correct. You are not allowed to walk into a check walk or make check. a check. So, um, you cannot, so like if you, if there's a capture you could make, but it would put the enemy king in check, you're not allowed to do that. And also there's one other rule, one other very important rule. When, uh, if, if, if the white king reaches rank eight and the black king can then move to rank eight on the very next turn, that is a draw. Right. So if you just like, okay, just move move king, move king, move king, move king, move king, move king. And you get to rank eight both at the same time. That's a draw um so that's basically the gist of the game and that's why it's called racing kings you race your king to the other side of the board the reason i like it is because the king becomes this huge weapon actually like if you start to play it and you start to like i don't know develop your own you know do some theory crafting or whatever because the king cannot be checked he's like this huge battle station that you just throw out into the middle of the board and all of a sudden you take away a bunch of moves from your opponent because all those moves that they might otherwise do would put your king in check, so they're not even allowed to do them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's why I like it. I don't know what 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 do you dislike? What is what is your what what's your beef with the kings that race?
0: I don't know. I mean, it it, it might be more like a like an aesthetic uh, like thing. It it probably doesn't grab me as much. Um, it's fun like like a, an example of this that we briefly touched on last episode was like you know the the comparison between chess and draughts or or uh um, that's like international checkers or uh you know the standard like american checkers like whatever right. like it's it's a very interesting game you know but um i mean just sort of the uniformity of the pieces doesn't really uh attract me to it like it's fun kind of to calculate some of the combinations like that famous Ivanchuk video where he calculates during the prize ceremony right uh, where he's
1: like he so set the stage for that course because that's a great video actually if you haven't seen it
0: uh yeah basically like he's he's playing like uh, checkers with uh, using pawns i think against joe Baba, and then like they call his name for the prize and then like basically right as you see him on the podium he's you see him like have this sort of eureka moment and he's calculating the winning combination and he executes it to perfection. But, um, I mean, so, okay. That same type of argument doesn't really apply to racing Kings because the pieces aren't uniform, but uh, it still somehow doesn't, uh, grab me, you know?
1: Yeah, I can, I can definitely see your point. Um, I guess, you know, one of the things that I like about it, you remember the, the chess variants that I don't really have a name for, but it's just the bishop and knight versus bishops and knights, and you try to make the first capture. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, pardon? So the game where both both sides just get a bishop and
0: knight. Oh, right, like, right, right, get, yeah.
1: Well, you get both pairs. You get two bishops, two knights each, and that's yes. it? And the, what's the name of that variant? Does that even have a name?
0: No, it doesn't. Um, I mean, I showed it to... Uh, I remember when I, I stayed... In St. Louis for like a few days, like I was uh, playing S chess, uh, Sarawan chess with um, Wesley So and Ray Robson, and I showed. Yeah, I showed uh, Ray Robson the um, the bishop and knight variant, and he really liked that. Wesley did not like it, Um, but it was interesting. We were trying to sort of craft our theory, like with the with that bishop and knight variant.
1: Yeah, so like one thing I was going to say about the bishop and knight variant, and again, this is just where both sides get their bishops and knights on the starting square only. So two bishops, two knights, and that's it. And first person to make a capture wins. And Gopal, I think you might agree with me on this. The more you play that game, especially if you play it against a serious player, you know, like Robson, for example, the more you play it, like the more in-depth it gets and like the more like tricky and and interesting and difficult it gets, right? Like you discover that this really simple game about capturing is actually very complex. Yeah. And that is actually what draws me to racing Kings. It's the same idea, you know, at, at first glance, it's just like, okay, I'm just going to March my King up the board and put my Rook to stop the other guy's King and boom, bada bing, bada bang, you know, whatever. Mm. But the more you play it, it's kind of like that Bishop and Knight where you start to really like develop some ideas in theory.
0: For sure. Yeah. Yeah, this? I could see it. It's just, I don't know. It it just hasn't grabbed me. Um, you're
1: you're waiting for as it to much. come along and sweep you off your feet and take you. Right.
0: Inside. Exactly. I mean it's it's not like uh, you know, what's that what's that thing? Um like looking glass chess or or whatever, like that somebody made a, a chessboard similar to the one in uh, Alice in Wonderland. Really. You know, where the pieces pass through like the captured pieces, they pass through and they they like go to a different board or something like that.
1: That sounds awesome. I've not heard of that actually being made like in real life.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's so weird. Like I'm I'm looking right now at this uh list of chess variants and on on Wikipedia, this this article. It's like it's a, such a beautiful article because there's so much uh that I had no idea even existed, you know.
1: Yeah, well, so that's one I haven't heard of. What is S chess? Just within just within our first few minutes, are you, you? chess? Yeah, what is that?
0: So Sarawan so chess, like, comes from um, the idea of Capablanca chess. So Capablanca, in the twenties, apparently, like, believed that chess would, uh, you know, just kind of become super boring, right? Like a draw death. <laughs> just it would be, it would be like. Hundred years later, um, you know, perfect being
1: correct,
0: right? Right. Yeah, I would say so for the elite level, but even there, you know, there's there are things that they could do. So, um, yeah he he proposed playing on a bigger board with uh like a ten a ten by eight board with two new pieces. Okay. Um. So the two new pieces were the archbishop, which has the combined powers of a bishop and a knight. Okay. And a Chancellor, which combines uh, a Knight and a Rook. So, yeah, there, there'd there be two pieces. I mean, apparently there are some, some of these uh, that predate Capablanca Chess. But basically with S-Chess, um, the Elephant, which moves as a Rook or a Knight, and then there is a Hawk that moves as a Bishop and Knight. S-Chess is played on a standard board. And, yeah... Once Wait, you develop so it's a piece, on an
1: eight by eight board, but you have two extra pieces. How does that? Work? Well,
0: yes. One, when, whenever somebody moves a piece from its starting position, um, like a king, like like a king, queen, rook, knight, bishop, whatever, um, and then you can once that square has been vacated, then you can place that piece there.
1: Does placing the piece on the square count as a move?
0: Uh. I believe you can do it immediately after. So like you, for you example if
1: I if I play like e4 e 5 bishop c4 let's say
0: and I then can put down the elephant
1: one I can put on that square whatever I want. I oh, believe it's still so. My turn. I believe yeah. so. It sounds pretty powerful honestly.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean there's some more um yeah, there's some more like things to that obviously, but like basically it it's a su- it can the game can turn super tactical out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I really would imagine great, great. so
1: you're, you're also like crowding the board, right? Like you have, right. you know, even, even in, you know, regular chess, when you promote a pawn, there's still at most only ever going to be 32 pieces on the board, right? Yeah. I mean, at absolute most. Um, but here you could have, if I'm, if I'm counting right, you could have 30, 36. How many, how many hawks and elephants do you get? Do you get two each or how does that work?
0: Being you get one each. of each. an elephant and a hawk each
1: even so that's 36 pieces right like right on the board wow yeah that sounds like it would get super tactical have you actually have you ever played a game of zero one chess?
0: yeah i did i yeah i played with uh wesley and and ray i think i like i might have won my second game against ray um like he i think he blundered out of the opening but it was like it was really weird like Uh, I think I remember he played like a London, a London system Mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean like C7 became super weak, at least from what I remember. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a long time ago and I, and I haven't got, uh, those extra pieces, you know? So it's, yeah, it's a little bit difficult. Plus, you know, there, there is a, what, what's that website? Piechess.org? Piechess.
1: P-I like, or P-I-E.
0: Uh, I thought it was p i or p y I'll find it. um It's like a Lee chess type site for chess variants okay Yeah, I mean, I don't think they have bughouse or something, but like it's it's totally for for variants So speaking about
1: ranking right bug Bughouse is number one on my list i lo- i love bughouse It's one of my not one of it's it's my favorite chess variants i would say just because it's it's so remarkably tactical and you know i've somehow somehow some way bug house is just like a whole different thing somehow even though it's essentially just chess i mean i've met people who you know their regular chess rating is maybe 1200 1400 you know that range and bug house they're just like unbeatable you know it, it it requires some kind of different something i'm not exactly sure what right you know what i mean you know what i'm talking about
0: yeah for sure um I mean, yeah. Like some, somehow, it feels like that their imagination is too restricted by normal chess. You know,
1: right. And then, like, and then the bug house is like a different, like a different universe.
0: I mean, you see this w- with players in in actual chess. Like, I think Bobby Fischer once said of the Slovenian Grandmaster, um, Albin planitz P L A N. INC like mm-hmm. that players like him had too much talent um, like Plonance he he created a lot of really brilliant games but um, you know against like players uh, such as Petrosian of, of the time or or just somebody with that type of style you know it, it would be hard for him to like let his imagination fly and he'd often end up impaling himself on like their defensive wall or something like that you know
1: yeah, just like almost not, not enough space to finish the masterpiece, right? That's fascinating to think about Bug House as creating more room for chess art.
0: I mean, it's the same with Crazy House. Like, you introduce so many new variables, for sure. And it's just a super aggressive game.
1: You know, actually, I agree. And that's, that's why I, I had that, you know, take that Crazy House is the future of chess. You, even a game like Chess Knights, <coughs> Chess Nine Hundred and Sixty, you know, if you watch some of those high level events being played, all of the players are still like working out opening theory before the round. You know what I mean? Right. They're still taking the time to do that. And some some Chess Nine Hundred and Sixty positions, you know, number one, there's a very clear way forward, and sometimes it favors White in terms of opening moves. And number yeah. two, a lot of times you just you have to play symmetrically which, of course, leads to equalish-type positions because if you don't play symmetrically from the starting position, you're going to get annihilated, right?
0: Right. I I remember this famous game, um, like, back... Do you remember those tournaments they used to have in Mines? Like, they used to have a big open, like, a big rapid open. They'd have a big, like, match between two strong players. And then they, they had, like, a Chess 960 World Championship. Do you remember that, like, in the 2000s?
1: I do. Am I thinking correctly that there was also like a, a blindfold thing as part of this? Is that right?
0: I'm not sure about that. That might have been the the amber turn or whatever. Okay, okay. yeah. I re- so okay,
1: but, I remember this one.
0: Yeah. But there is one. I think on the last day of the world championship between like Aronian and Spidler, <clears throat> I think Spidler had he had won that event so many times, and then he just he had a lost position by move three um, against Aronian. Like I, this is before. Uh, recent events started checking the positions, you know, with the computers just to make sure the disadvantage is not so severe. Right. Um, but yeah, it was just something where it's like knight c3, knight b5 and you're attacking c7 and you have to play like king d8 or something, you know, right. and really like no just forfeit your...
1: Way to guard it.
0: Yeah. Right, yeah, and it was just the the pieces were placed so unfortunately it's like, you know, it, it was very inconvenient. It was so rare scenario like that but um yeah you know something to guard against i mean i think it's okay to me but i
1: mean to me that's like the issue which i love chess 960 first of all i'm not trying to hate on it at all it's definitely a top three variant for me um which is interesting because now i have to bump either racing kings Bug House, or crazy House out um but no i love chess 960 but you know, at some point, as you pointed out, right? Like, there are some re- there are some restrictions or limitations in terms of like some of the starting positions heavily favor one color, and and then if you start eliminating starting positions, you're you're really narrowing down, you know, the the number of of options. You know.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know. Like, I like the re- the like. Should we just get into our reasons for? Like they talking about Crazy House being the future.
1: Yeah, go for
0: it. I want to hear it. Also, again. uh it just, just a also just a quick um yeah, just a quick thing. Uh, the website I was referring to is pie chess.org, pychess.org. Okay. And so um, yeah, I mean they they have all sorts of variants, like fairy piece variants, like the Capablanca chess we talked about, Sarawan chess. And then a bunch of other stuff I haven't even heard of, but, um, yeah, I mean, so, okay. Like, first of all, the positions are gorgeous, right? Can we just talk about that for a second? We're talking about
1: crazy house soon, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. in yes. In crazy house.
1: What do you, find, I mean, what do you find gorgeous about them? I agree. I'm, I just want to hear your, your thoughts.
0: I mean, you get like all these pawn structures you haven't seen before. Like, these sort of violent attacks just from nowhere um, or seemingly nowhere. And like a lot of it too is, is based on kind of abstract understanding like regular chess, you know, certain patterns and things you, you have to know. And like, you know, let's say, you know, your opponent's attacking you. And even though you might not see something concretely, like, you know, based on just the general principles of the game, you know, you might be kind of boned. Right,
1: like four sweet squares, that sort of thing.
0: Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just like you can have how many knights? Like eight knights on the board, or something. Like, right that that makes about that makes sense. <laughs> yeah,
1: right? I think. And so. I mean, plus you could promote, right? So you could under promote. You
0: yeah. And yeah, a lot of times too, you're going to promote to a knight for check, right. you know,
1: because you need the tempo.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say bishop uh, under promotions are about as rare as they are in um you know regular chess usually you're in regular chess you're doing that just to avoid a stalemate or something like that yeah or in I, bug house I, you don't want to give a queen or something like that you know so you don't promote to a queen
1: right exactly or or yeah i mean to me that that is the, why i i think crazy house is the future and what what makes it beautiful is the let me think of how best to put this, the interrelation of all the different elements of chess, right? So yeah. like, if you think just about the under-promotion, we're talking about um, tempo, we're talking about initiative. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times we're talking about uh, control or a threat to a key square, right? Yeah. But then also one of the things that I find most fascinating about Crazy House is um, the, uh, how to describe this, the the dynamic between material and everything else, you know, tempo, threats, etc It's such uh-huh. a sharp dynamic, even, even unlike Bug House. You know, in Bug House with two players, you can be constantly receiving material from the other board. So you can right. kind of sell out for the attack, you can sell out for the dynamic play and the aggression. But in Crazy House, you can't really, because if you sell out for aggression, but you don't have enough material, you can only get the material from that board that you're playing. on, Right.
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, and, and that's why I, I think it's quite a balanced game in many ways too, because like, you'll see oftentimes like positional struggles, like where there is no attack going on or where it's like, not to your benefit to force some sort of attack, you know, because like you said, you can't get material from anywhere else than the board you're playing on. Um, you know, so we do see like some positional struggles often with like some attacking elements ultimately in mind, which I think is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that that to me is also what's fascinating. Is exactly right. Like sometimes both players will sort of neglect the the materialistic instinct of trying to grab everything because they're just playing like exactly as you said, positionally in this wild variant where trades and placements are happening nonstop.
0: Right yeah exactly like yeah yeah keeping in mind the weird placements during a positional struggle has to be you know i mean that that's just what makes it so interesting you know
1: right who's the um i can't remember if he's australian or new zealand he was like oh jan time. lee yes that's who i was trying to think of yeah jan lee um i, I assume you've watched some of his games right
0: oh absolutely so Lee,
1: as if i remember correctly it's ja 2 A N N. is that right
0: Yes, that's right.
1: J-A-N-N-L-E-E. Um, he, he is a phenomenal Crazy House player. One of the things that I liked uh, about um, watching him is sort of watching this variant theory develop almost on the fly in like bullet games. And he yeah. was talking about how when you're defending, basically what you want to be doing is you want to be either placing a piece on the board on every turn, like placing a defender near your king. Or capturing something on a return, like eliminating one of the attackers on a return, right? Which is like a really interesting way of again reaching this relationship between material, you know, the material you have off the board that you can place onto the board.
0: And now, uh, is this just an like a general rule, or for bullet, just to for practical considerations?
1: I believe it was a general rule because I I don't know. No, it makes sense. We would have to ask Jan, right? Like, but. Uh, I did watch some of his games in longer time controls, too, and it seemed that, um, again, I'm, I'm sort of generalizing here, but on, on a broad scale, it seemed that he was doing that when he had to defend. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, you know, he's a very strong Crazy House player. I think, you know, 2,800-plus Crazy House on lead chess, which is insanely high. Um, as I recall, uh, he he also seemed to be very willing to defend a lot. You know, in, in a lot of variants right, like yeah. Bug House and Crazy House where you're capturing and placing, many players just focus so much on the attack. Uh, but he seemed to be more willing to accept positions where he was going to have to defend. Which I found interesting because, you know, I, I'm I'm the opposite when I play Crazy House.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, though, it's like you have to, just like with regular chess, uh, you have to do what the position demands. You know, this could be like, this is like the Achilles' heel for a lot of less experienced players in regular chess, you know.
1: Right, just always trying to make a threat or make an attack when actually, right?
0: Yeah, causes. yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, but yeah, like that's that's why, like, it, as obscure as some of the positions look, like there are a lot of elements like that, you know, which tie it, which tie it back to regular chess.
1: Right, right. I think. Um, Honestly, that's a great correlation because you know in in regular chess, one of the first things you have to learn is how to attack. But then it seems like as soon as you learn how to attack, you also have to learn when to attack, right? Right. And that that the when is oftentimes trickier than like the how or or what you're going to do. Oh, for sure. Um, all right, Crazy House. I think you know honestly, it's it's a really cool one. It's it does lead to this vast, vast landscape where it feels like there's more to create. Um, are there any other variants like that for you that maybe have that similar appeal or beauty?
0: Um, yeah. I like, I would say, I mean, not like, okay. So one thing we have to understand with some of these variants is like, we have to make sure one side doesn't have, like, a significant advantage, you know, at the start of the game. Like, uh, I, I kind of like three-check, although even though white is, like, definitely a bit, quite a bit better. Yeah. Um, King of the Hills, another one I like. But, I mean, uh, really, it's so hard to hold a torch to Crazios, honestly.
1: So let's explain some of those for some of our listeners who may not have... Um experience with we'll start with three check three check is an interesting one i think i i personally think three check is one of the most accessible chess variants oh for sure it's so close like you know the basically in three check all the rules are the same you're playing a normal game of chess however there's one additional condition placed on the game which is um, if you are checked three times you lose
0: it doesn't have to be consecutively, but just three times over the course of the game.
1: Right. Does not have to be consecutive. Any three checks. The third check, you are done, you lose. Um, which I think is fascinating. It's an, it's an interesting condition to place on the game. It completely changes how the game is played. Um, right. And not only that, but also uh, you can still lose the normal way as well, right? Like if you get checkmated, you lose. Um, right. Yeah. So I'm curious. What, I, I agree with you. Why do you think in this, you know, with this one extra condition, why does that enhance White's advantage so much?
0: Um, I mean, like, space can be very significant. Um, you know, like, with White having the extra half move, like, it's possible for them to take more central space in the opening. Whereas Black needs to shield, like, you know, if you thought f7 was weak in <laughs> regular chess, like t- you know, try playing three check, right? So you have to kind of shield some of these squares, which will naturally, uh, I believe, make you take less space in the center, um, as far as like what I understand. You know,
1: right? So I, mean, no, I feel like that that be can be. With, you can't just go e4 d4 with white though, right?
0: Right. Because yeah. For, example, for instance,
1: e4, e6 and then d4.
0: D4 bishop. bishop B4. Yeah. Yeah, c three bishop takes knight takes and then white's on two and then queen h four and a third check is avoidable or sorry unavoidable no matter what. Um, but yeah, so the extra space that white has, or or the extra space that they can take in the opening, will lend itself to a lot of attacking chances uh, later on. You know, so black's active possibilities are going to be a little restricted. Um, naturally, it's not so cut and dry, but. Uh yeah, I think it's sort of generally understood that, that's, that White has a pretty significant edge in 3-check. But there's yeah, still I, quite a bit of play, you know?
1: Right, I think so too. And it's interesting, you know, this is a game where it's really fascinating to sort of watch the theory behind it develop. And you know, you might think, just hearing you and I talk about it, that in 3-check the games are, are usually pretty quick and they're over-fast because you only have to check the game three times. But that's really not the case. You know, that's I've not played, yeah. I've played a significant amount of three check end
0: games. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Which almost sounds absurd, right? To think that you could get to an end game, you know, while avoiding being checked three times and 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 also not checking the opponent three times. But you know, the, the same rules of chess apply. Like if you're a defender, trading a lot of times is uh, is the way to go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What yeah, about definitely. King what about King of the Hill? You, you brought that one up too. Could you give us a rundown of that and then What are your thoughts in terms of, you know, why you like it? Does anyone have an advantage? That sort of
0: thing. Um, I mean, it's also, I think, probably one of the more, like, sort of on the same tier of three check as like, in terms of accessibility. Mm -hmm. Basically, you know, you have, you're playing a normal game of chess, but an additional way to win is to get your king to one of the four center squares. The first person that can do that wins. So you know i that i'm not so familiar with the the theory but i mean naturally you can think that the game is based a lot on central control you know and right i i don't know have we ever have you ever tried uh doing this in your chess camps like showing this game uh to kids or something because it's hilarious to see them play it for <laughs> the first time
1: you know what actually no e- king of the hill no but i have shown them three check we do play a lot of three check in our
0: camps right yeah I remember that. Um, but yeah, like they'll do like E3, E6, King E2, King E7. <laughs> and just like, uh, no, you want to strangle them. But uh, the
1: king is out just just aiming for the center as quick as possible.
0: Right. I mean, that's how you win, right? Like, what are all these other pieces doing?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I think, you know, um, that's, that's probably a, a good example of why, even in a game like that, where the object is to get your king to the middle, why you need to use the other pieces first, right? And have the support right. of other pieces. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> given given your uh, brief example there, I think I probably will not show sure that to kids. Because okay. It might be yeah. Maybe of, like, if we right, just like, want a,
0: a good laugh at their expense, which yeah. <laughs> I'm always a, a fan of. <laughs> <Fair point. clears throat>
1: yes, uh, I agree. I agree. So that's like your your co- coach's edification day, right? Yes. Definitely. Like the last day of camp, Friday, you just have them play.
0: Yeah. Have, or just, you know, right when I've seen, you know, after I've told them to bring out their Knights, Bishops and Castle for like the <laughs> 90th time and I, I see like all the pawns up on the third rank and, you know, you know, just when I'm about to blow my brains out. Yeah, I'll show them that game just so I can at least have a, a laugh at their expense because <laughs> the other stuff stopped being funny you know, around the 40th time I told them to develop their pieces. But like, anyway, I,
1: right. Honest question. And I mean, maybe, maybe the two of us are just like jaded chess coaches at this point, but I don't remember needing to be told, like, bring your knights and bishops out 40 times. You know, I got it. Like, Well, yeah. Cause time. you're not
0: a moron. Like, <laughs> like half these people uh, are like, Jesus oh Christ.
1: Well, I think, you know, honestly, um, honestly, Variants I do like to use, uh, for example, the three check one I mentioned. I do I do teach the kids that because that one I think really makes them look ahead and think about how can I shield my king, right? Yeah, definitely king safety. Coming. Exactly, king safety. That's a good king safety one.
0: I maybe that would be a good training exercise. I think for a player who's like prone to a lot of things that leave their king unsafe. Yeah, maybe he that could you check. know. Yeah, maybe.
1: I like that idea. And and I wonder, you know, like King of the Hill, I would think the same would be true for players who have difficulty like controlling the center or focusing on the center.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Although you'd have to get them to overcome that instinct of just like, you know, E three, King E two, King F three. <laughs> you know, that's
0: right. Yeah, exactly. As as Kevin Hart said, you know, like if they're playing against a good player, they're gonna learn that they're gonna learn today.
1: Wait, Kevin Hart said that?
0: Yeah, they're going to learn today. Or okay. you're going to learn today. There's, it's a famous <laughs> bit. Okay, you can play a car <laughs> crash noise over that. That's fine. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm really far behind on my Kevin Kevin Hurtin stuff. Uh,
0: okay, so here. I, I If we were finished with that, I kind of want to go back to some of my least favorite variants.
1: Oh, please. Um, I'd love to hear about them. I, I haven't even brought up mine yet.
0: I, go for it. I think definitely at the bottom of the list has to be Atomic. Really? Really? I hate Atomic Chess. Yeah.
1: Okay. I gotta hear what. So I, I, I am. I'm not like a huge Atomic fan, but I think it's kind of fun. Like if you're bored, you know. So what? What do you dislike about Atomic?
0: It's dumb.
1: <laughs> so Atomic. Let's just. Okay. I, I, I suspect. You know, as we go down this list, like we're gonna we're gonna lose people in terms of not knowing what it is. Atomic, uh, basically, is you can blow pieces up, literally. And the way you blow up a piece is you make a capture, and if you make a capture, any piece on a on a square that is touching the square that is captured you know quote unquote blows up right?
0: yeah, within the radius
1: within the radius, right so like for example, if you capture a piece on e four then uh e five f five d five d four f four. F three, E three, D three would all explode. Anything in that radius blows up. Hence the name atomic. Now, if you play this online, like Leech Chess or something, it's really fun because there's like a little graphic. You hear like the, you know, the explosion right. sound, and there's like a little graphic, and all the pieces blow up. Um, what What's your beef with Atomic? You don't like you don't like it. You know, audiences? you're uh, not a uh, nuclear war on the chessboard.
0: I mean, I guess the more I think about it, like. Again, like, you know, I don't want to fall into this trap like so many people have with our beloved crazy house, right? Like, uh, you know, sometimes, like, we tend to poo-poo these things that we don't understand so well. And maybe that's my beef with Atomic Chess, honestly. Like, I'll be be totally honest. Maybe that might be it. But um, I don't know. It just doesn't, like, grab me uh, aesthetically. Like, I don't know. It, It just doesn't feel like such a, a deep game.
1: That is not down with the boom?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I am. But, you know, in different settings, perhaps.
1: I think, okay, so Atomic for me is one... Uh, here, here's my issue with Atomic, and again, I, maybe I don't know it as well as I need to. Although I've seen this, you know, reading a little bit of the leech Atomic studies and forum posts and that sort of thing. Um, My issue with Atomic is... I think it's one of those where having the first move is a huge advantage.
0: Right. Um, Yeah.
1: Unlike, you know, like, okay, three check, having the first move is an advantage. We agree. We understand why, but
0: there's still quite a bit of play.
1: There's quite a bit of play. There aren't like dead forcing variations. You know what I mean? I believe in atomic. It's just completely forced. If you have the first move, like you're going to have a pretty big advantage And, and most of the lines are forced. I don't know. I haven't, um, there was a time in my life when I, when I read articles and forum posts about atomic opening theory.
0: <laughs> it was mm-hmm. a very
1: dark period.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but that, you know, I don't, I don't anymore. I don't know what the state of atomic theory is or if it has evolved or not. Um, but I remember the last I checked into it, it seemed as though if white played a certain way, um, you know, black basically had to just parry a bunch of threats to blow up their king right off the bat. And then like lost material or got into a bad position sort of thing. And to right. me, that, that is what makes a bad variant is two things. Number one, if one color has a huge advantage. And number two, if there's forcing play starting on move one, that basically just like decides the, you know what I mean? It, 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 it removes the, the creative elements and the things that we like about variants like crazy notes.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: That's what makes a bad variant to me. That's my beef with Atomic. It's fun to play. It's super enjoyable. If you're one of those players who just wants to have fun and doesn't know, like, the, you know the Atomic Opening Theory, then cool. But if it's just like, you know, night here, night there, boom, 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 checkmate, you know, what's the fun of that? I don't know. Right. I guess I need to for push sure. up on my Atomic Theory for the next Atomic World Championship.
0: Um, how, what's, your, uh, what's your stance on anti-chess? Okay, so is this the one where you just have to capture everything? Or give away, yeah, all your pieces. Giveaway
1: chess, loser's chess, and those are all right, the same, yeah. right? This is my least favorite variant. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> that's, that's my stance on anti-chess. And actually for the same reason. I, I think it's, uh, you know, if you play the right opening moves, I think it's just super forcing. What's your stance on anti-chess?
0: Um, You know, it, it's interesting. So, like, I, I remember reading um just, like, some stuff about game theory, right? And you know the different types of like solutions for things like like a perfect solution or like conditional solution or whatever Mm -hmm. um so like certain positions in chess like the the table based positions those have been solved right for for best play like that's there's there's nothing that's gonna surprise us there Mm -hmm. um and yeah you know there there have been people throughout history who have tried to prove like that white has a significant advantage, like if not winning advantage with uh, the first move, right? People like Weaver Adams, um, who was the famous inventor of 6H3 in the Nydorf, later popularized by Bobby Fischer himself. Okay. Um, and then Hans Berliner, who tried to prove like white was winning by force with D4, but, you know, he wasn't quite sure what to do against the Nimzo Indian or the Slav uh, according to his system. So, you know, th- those are just some small holes like in his analysis, but, yeah. uh, anyway, so anti chess was, I believe the first variant where it was like proved to be a forced win for white, starting with one E three.
1: That, yeah. That's it what was, I, that's what I remember. It was
0: totally calculated. Yeah. yeah. It's like
1: there's a forcing way to go. Right.
0: Right. And has uh, that held up?
1: Has that stood, stood the test of time?
0: I believe so. Um, and there, like what what intrigued me uh, about it was that there was this book that came out a few years ago called The Ultimate Guide to Anti Chess by Vladica and- Andrejic. Uh, I believe is how you say the name. Uh, yeah, it was surprisingly, it was surprisingly published by uh, the same company that publishes the like Chess Informant.
1: Okay.
0: S-Sachowski chess, like you would, I I would never guess that they would have. Surprise that, but um, yeah, I mean, it gives you like an opening repertoire. Um, it gives you like a, like a guide to certain end games and stuff like that. It really is like an ultimate guide to anti chess. Um, Interesting. I mean, I just, you know, that's so
1: that's what makes a variant difficult for me to get into, though, is if I know that there's just like, okay, you know, there's just a forced win, you know, if, right. you, if you handle it a certain way. Uh, yeah but if
0: you try it it. that's true but i mean if you try to to execute it in practice like you could see see there's still play but but yeah i mean it kind of ruins the the mystique you know
1: yeah what's the word we're looking for there it ruins the appeal mystique yeah i don't know something
0: yeah i'm not sure
1: yeah that's what makes a bad variant to me that's my beef with atomic that's my beef with with anti Is i feel like there's less room for creativity. The paths, the paths starting from move one, if if White plays the most, you know, pressing line are very narrow. And if I'm going to play a variant, to me, the appeal of variants is the creativity and how they open up the game, right? So right. I don't want to pick one that feels almost like it's closing down some of the the joy of the joy of chess.
0: I don't know if there are any sickos like that that really have. Commit it. Try to commit to memory, like how e3 wins by force. But I mean, I'm maybe sure there are. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I guess so. It's like I mean, rule thirty four, right?
1: Sickos who play regular chess and try to try to commit to memory how one e4 wins by force.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Whether or not it does. Um. Okay. Anti. Yeah, that's my beef with anti chess. So. Though I don't know. Fair enough. And I. I don't know. I like I like more create creativity, you know? And actually, that's another thing. There's something to me very checkers-esque about the rule because in anti-chess, correct me if I'm wrong, if you ah, right, capture, yes. you have to capture, right? Yes,
0: you're obliged to capture, right? Yeah, and exactly. One of the beautiful yeah.
1: things about chess to me, like the nuances of chess is like, you know, the subtle move or the quiet move, you know? How satisfying are those if you're playing like a great game, a real like over-the-board classical game, and you get to make just this like, quietly crushing subtle move you know mm-hmm. those to me are the most satisfying moves to make as opposed to like just the wham bam execute the tactical sequence
0: right exactly i mean it yeah as you get more experience like you get to appreciate you know what Twisting i would the call like the right exactly yeah the, the type of finesse move where you twist the the piece into the square that and they have their own like sort of placid beauty you know
1: yeah, I completely agree, and I think that that is, for me anyway, that that's removed a bit from a game like anti-chess where yeah. the captures are compulsory. You know, you can't do maneuvering, you can't make
0: move.: Yeah, I got you. Um, so here, what about let's? Uh, what about your thoughts on Horde?
1: Okay, Horde. I, I think Horde is really interesting. So um, Horde, one, one, one player in Horde gets the chess set. So you right. get your, your eight pawns. I think white, right? White gets the chest set? Mm-hmm. Or does black get the chess set?
0: Black gets the chest set.
1: Okay, black gets the chest set. So black gets all your normal pieces, rooks, queens, bishops, kings, pawns, etc. set up in the normal position. And white gets
0: how many pawns? How many pawns is it? Uh so it's
1: 30. It's like 32. 32 or 38. I got to go Here, bring up also. a Horde game. Let's bring up a Horde yeah, game. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up right so now. Well so... This is great.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Um,
1: Tools, analysis board. Can I do Horde? I can. Yes, wow, you that's can. that's so cool. Okay, no, it's more than... How many is this? This is... Yeah, it's 36. Right?
0: Yeah, I think so, horde. right? Because, yeah, 32 and then four pawns. Yeah, 36.
1: So black gets the chess set. Black gets the normal chess set. That's what black gets. And white gets 36 points. Right. <laughs> no, I, I like Horde. Horde, Horde to me, uh, always ends up being pretty creative, which is what I find uh, interesting about it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I just... Uh, you know, it, it's so weird. Like it, it, I think it's such a challenging game to play with, with both sides. Um,
1: I agree. I agree. I yeah, always I prefer mean, to play the pawns. Though. How about you?
0: Yeah. I think it's easier to, to play with the pawns, even if uh, maybe black has like some sort of edge. I mean, at least uh, that's what I heard, but I mean, I've never really felt that, um, yeah, I've never that felt black like has, an, has edge. an edge either. Mm-hmm. They might have a material edge, like slight material edge, but like, white has so many cramping possibilities that um it just makes it so hard and plus you know i, I have more of a active style or like positionally aggressive style so it's like it's not it's not going to be so easy to just defend you're like basically condemned to defend from the start you know against like any reasonable player that has the pawns right so i mean it's ju- it's just really hard to like and a lot of times you have time to time your break with.
1: give up your your um your material advantage to to, to smash through right
0: <laughs> right yeah exactly if, yeah if you can smash through to like some of the back rows like then yeah you'll have a feeding frenzy with the pawns but but yeah to get there it's easier said than done i think
1: yeah i agree oh and, and we should clarify to win black has to capture all the pawns and white has to checkmate obviously there's no white right, king yeah. on the board so white is just trying to check
0: in yeah exactly
1: It's an interesting game. It always ends up, you know, one of the things that I, that I find about Horde, and I don't know if this is your same experience. Basically, in Horde, it's really hard to come back from a mistake. Mm -hmm. Like If you make any kind of, if either color gets any kind of advantage, for example, if black breaks through and starts, starts feasting, you know, yeah, you're just, you're you're boned. Yeah, right. That's it. And the same is true for white, you know, if white, gains dominance in any particular sector like their pawns are far enough advanced and they have enough support i i would say the same is true there's just not much you can do
0: right yeah so it's probably i mean where where it's like you know i would say in both of those scenarios like you're you're facing this kind of like slow death and and like whereas in in crazy house or or some other games like you know it it could at least be quick and painless but also there it feels like there are more chances to go wrong you know even in like very simple concrete situations um but whereas like in in these types of situations that you're describing with horde it it is going to be very hard for the stronger side to go wrong you know simply because of the sort of one dimensional nature of the of the game
1: yeah i i think i think you're right and that yeah, I don't know. I, to me, Horde is is one of those very unique variants, too, though, right? Like, it's, it really shows the uh, ingenuity that some of these inventors of variants have, right? Like, who just decided mm-hmm. to give somebody 36 pawns? <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Right. I think yeah. it was called Prince Dusani's chess or something like that, or it was maybe derived from that variant.
1: Really? Okay, I've never yeah.
0: heard
1: of that. Horde always just made the most...
0: Well-prepared, just like we said.
1: <laughs> we're extremely well-prepared. Yeah. So I have a very, speaking of creative variants, I have a variant that I'm, I I wonder if it's even on Pi Chess or in Wikipedia. If you still have those up because we're so well-prepared, uh, check yeah. it and see if this variant even exists in either one. And I don't, I think I've introduced it to you, but I don't remember. It's Secret Queen
0: Chess. Secret Queen Chess. Yeah. Have you no, so ever heard that variant? No, I mean it. It kind of reminds me of what they've done, like in the 1800s. And I, I know Angelo Young used to tell me they used to play like uh, the capped pawn or the the capped piece. Like that was the pawn or piece that had to deliver a checkmate.
1: Yeah. So, so secret queen chess. Is but kind the of opponent
0: like doesn't that. know that.
1: Exactly. Um, secret queen chess was. I, I don't know who exactly it was invented by, but it was introduced to me by enemy of the podcast Brian Walt. Uh, and the basic, the basic gist of it is at the beginning of the game, uh, each player writes down and seals, um, the letter of a pawn. So like, for example, I would write down G and my G pawn is now secretly a queen. It's not a pawn. It's a queen. Mm -hmm. And I do not have to tell the opponent that the G pawn is my queen or is a queen, right? Because you also get the queen you start with. So everything is normal. You're playing a normal game of chess. Everything is regular, but one of the pawns is secretly a queen.
0: This is terrible. I and have, I don't
1: I have to this. tell my opponent that it is a queen until I wish to use it as a queen. So I can move it or just leave it where it is and, or move it like up to G3, like one square in fianchetto my bishop and just kind of fake like it's a pawn for a while. And I don't have to announce that it is a queen until I am ready to use it as one. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. <laughs> I don't like this variant.
1: What do you not like about it? It's actually, it leads to really fun games. So what's your what's your beef with Secret Queen?
0: It's dumb. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I would need to see, like, uh, how a, a proper game develops before I draw such conclusions. I mean, it just sounds, I don't know. Like Yeah,
1: I, I would encourage you to play it. It actually leads to some really interesting play because essentially what you have to do i have found as i have played secret queen is you just have to assume that every pawn is a queen uh because right because at any moment if if the pawn is a queen it could be bro
0: every pawn can be a queen though <laughs> It's <joint. laughs>
1: yes that's true right i mean if you promote, yeah yeah but it, it actually ends up being really interesting and sometimes you can like fake that a pawn as a queen like lining it up with a bishop towards the other guy's king to make them believe that that pawn is your queen and um and ah, okay and they'll try so to, like some poker elements for it yeah like there's some there's some bluffing um definitely there's some bluffing to, to try to fake out or like if one of your pawns comes under attack you can bluff and like you know sort of go overboard to save the pawn hoping that they'll sack something for it even though it's really just a pawn
0: oh okay i could see that i mean i i guess really like coming sort of back to crazy house. Like this is probably the best way I can explain what my beef is ultimately with a lot of these variants. Um, is that like, I mean, okay. secret queen does open the door to, to so many different possibilities, but like, you know, one of the things with, with modern chess now that I think we've both talked about is that it's, it's more, more of a science, you know? Um Like, I mean, yes, that's there, true. there are only so many uh times like our, Knowledge can be totally like revolutionized, you know the game is not a fantasy anymore um, oh, i man. mean unless what a what a
1: poignant brutal but honest quote the game is not a fantasy
0: anymore yeah for sure, modern chess is definitely not a fantasy um and you know what what's interesting about chess is that like you know we had the the romantic era right morphe and and everyone else with their dashing attacks and then you had Steinitz come along and putting some of these attacks under the microscope and realized wow they weren't sound uh, like they were considered to be so he you know started to you know put forth some principles of positional play and defense and you know then like we have all these like evolutions of understanding like the hypermodern era and so on and I feel like with crazy house, there is the potential to do that. You know, like, are we in the Morphe era right now? Are we in the hypermodern era or are we in the, you know, the era the era where it's no longer a fantasy anymore? Like, is there going to be an alpha zero that comes along to totally like shake things up and show us what crazy house from a different planet looks like?
1: You know, that's honestly, that's a great thought. I, my gut reaction is we're still in the Morphe era
0: because it
1: feels like there's so much more to be learned. And yeah. in particular, you know, if you think about what was the Morphe era dominated by? It was right, dominated yeah. by a, a attacking style, right? And swashbuckling mm-hmm. style and like vicious, ferocious attack style. And I think at the moment, Crazy House, you know, the strong Crazy House games, uh, high-level games are still dominated primarily by... Um, attacking style, and some of that is just the nature of the variant. It, it right. leads itself to be more aggressive by nature.
0: But, or, yeah, sorry, go on. No,
1: I was just going to say, you know, it. Yeah, it just seems to me like that is that is still the Morphe era, right?
0: Sure, I I I can see that. But also another <clears throat> thought I had was, you know, like, sure, we with these different eras and evolutions of chess understanding, there is sort of this like collective. Uh, consciousness right where we started to follow that trend you know but in crazy house like could it be that we have a Morphe and a Steinitz and you know all these other people among us right now and you yeah. know just because the information is can be developed and passed along uh, you know much more quickly than it could back then you know I would but I mean I like just like
1: a John Lee being like a Steinitzian figure right
0: right yeah definitely like
1: he's, um, he's sort of coming up with some theories about the game that, you know, like I said, he's willing to defend. He has some ideas on how to do that. You know, he's sort of, be, you know, um, introducing these ideas, which may lead to like the theory of, of crazy house, chess.
0: right. And I feel like uh, players like 12 teen and opera weson are more like, uh, the more like the tall type type yes. players, you know, Agreed. just very obscure sacrifices that, um, you know, just kind of attacks from nowhere. Um, I embody
1: the water and rely on, on, the, on the talent and intuition.
0: Right, yeah. But also, like, you know, like, like the same thing with Tal, like, you know, there's the narrative surrounding his sacrifices that they were unsound or semi-sound in the respect but they were, you know, good enough in a practical game, right? With the clock ticking, it was hard to solve the problems. But actually, a lot of his sacrifices were later vindicated as good enough for at least a draw. For instance, like his famous knight D5 in his 1965 candidates match with Larson, the final game, Mm -hmm. where he was debating, okay, it was a sharp Sicilian and he's debating, okay, do I retreat my knight to E2 or something? And then he's like, well, you know, if I lose this match, I'm not going to lose it because of cowardice. And he played knight D5. And, you know, for many years, it was sort of thought that that was an unsound sacrifice. But um, later people showed that it actually was good enough for a draw but that's just one example there are several right. such examples
1: right I, I love that i'm not going to lose it because of cowardice I, I, again I, I feel like that's also where we're at in crazy house right like let's go let's make the attack
0: right yeah exactly um yeah it's it's hard to sterilize the game which which is a big problem i think in today's elite chess and ultimately i think this is why like we've like what's brought us here to have this conversation, you know, the sterilization Um,
1: of the, of the high level games.
0: Right. I mean, it can like, it can only be sterilized if, you know, if that's what people want, you know, let's say if you play nothing, but let's say QGD in Berlin the entire time, like, you know what, that's how you kill chess. If you want, (laughs) like, I mean, you're essentially like, just,
1: I need a t-shirt that says that.
0: Right. Like, I mean, and if you do nothing else, that's how you could, Kill chess, uh, I think, you know, because there's just so much more interesting stuff to explore. But um,
1: yeah, I, I would agree 100%. Wow. Um, so, so Gopal, let's let's wrap it up. I have, I have one last question here that I think will be fun to end on. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with uh, a poker horse tournament? Do you know what that is? Uh,
0: I think so. So, Do you refresh is, my memory.
1: Uh, yeah, it's just, it stands for Hold'em Omaha Raz Stud 8. Um, so mm-hmm. each round or each hand, uh, sometimes it's each hand, sometimes you'll play a round, but, um, you know, each hand, uh, the, the variant of poker changes. So you'll go one round of Hold'em, one round of Omaha, one round of Raz, and one round of Stud 8. Okay. And then, then you start back over, right? Mm-hmm. So I have, a, I have a, a vision here of doing a chess variant tournament or championship at some point that's essentially like horse, um, so like, uh, you know, each round you'll play, so let's say you and I are paired in round one mm-hmm. of the chess tournament, the chess horse tournament, we'll play one round of Crazy House, one game of, um, let's say, Chess 960, one game of Horde, and one game of, I don't know, uh, Raising Kings.
0: We'll so need a lot of question. extra chess sets.
1: <laughs> exactly, right. So, he, well, here's, here's my question. What would be your four variants that you would put in a chess horse tournament?
0: Um I mean maybe so we don't scare off the normies like okay crazy house of course mm-hmm. uh 960 king of the hill and three check I know that's probably the most like vanilla um but I think it's the most accessible you know
1: I like that I like that yeah that's a good point because they're all fairly close to um, the actual rules of the game, right? They, they each only have... Well, let me think about this. I think they each only have one extra cr- constraint placed on them, right? Yeah. Let's think of it. So Crazy House, the extra constraint is you can place pieces you captured. Um, three check, the extra constraint is the three checks, right? The
0: three checks, king of the hill, getting the king to the center,
1: and, and then 960. Just a different arra- it's really just regular right. chess, right? Yeah. Like just, yeah, it's just slightly different regular chess. Yeah, I like that. I think that makes sense. That would be fun. Uh you know, one of the things that I like about that is you get a you get a wide variety of of styles that you have to play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it really, I think, you know, I don't know how to I don't know how to say this in a different way, but it really brings out the true, the true chess in, in people. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. If there is, if there is such a thing as like a true chess.
0: I might like so, this.
1: I don't know if I'd change. I thank don't you. Know if I'd change anything,
0: honestly. I mean, I think it's it's that would be the easiest, you know, for the for the normies. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, sure, it's it like the sky's the limit, and as you can tell by like the list of variants, like the sheer list of variants is ridiculous. You know, you could yeah. get lost in in any one of these. You know, just like how in regular chess, you know, you and I, we've devoted most of our adult life to this game and still like have yet to get the bot, get to the bottom of it, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. There's still work to be done. Exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, and so like, I think if we're, if we're going to end, like, you know, I, I do kind of want to address like this, uh, this kind of like stuck up attitude towards variants and definitely like don't guys, don't listen to me like throughout this whole podcast when I've been, <laughs> You know, saying know like this variant sucks. When you have or...
1: been doing your own poo pooing on the variants, right?
0: Exactly. You know because, you will... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Now you, will you know speak
1: to
0: global. well. I mean, I said it before, but like, look, don't don't pay attention to that because we have to kind of understand where some of that behavior comes from. You know, like you know, chess nine sixty. Like, sure, it's it's ridiculous. You know, a lot of people might poo poo that because like. You know, let's say your coaches as a kid, right? They tell you, well, you know, too much bug house is bad, right? Because you're going to screw up your regular chess during the tournament. And that's where we would usually play, right? When we we're with all of our yeah, friends in between to, rounds. you
1: need to have enough people to get a bug house.
0: You know? Right, exactly. So, you know, I think some of the behavior is like rooted in that or that just that like, you know, anything else other than proper chess is like kind of dumb, you know, or not, or not worthy. Or even harmful. Right. Yeah. And I mean, okay, sure. Like regular chess does have like such a great community uh, that has been cultivated behind it with a lot of support and, and eyes on it. But I mean, variants like crazy house, you know, they, it, they don't have that, but like, they just have this, this, this beauty that people just need to open their eyes to, you know,
1: untapped beauty.
0: Right. For yeah, sure. I,
1: I would agree. And I think, you know, my, my perspective on uh, is bug house harmful for a student player, kids player, whatever? You know, my perspective is, you know, in, in chess, there are two avenues uh, of improvement that you need to work on. You know, the first one is your chess knowledge, your understanding of the game, your skill, right? But the second one is also your, your playing tendencies, like noticing things, seeing the whole board. Um, yeah,
0: especially as a younger player, too.
1: Especially as a younger player, exactly. Recognizing threats. And if a variant can help somebody do that, you know, a good example is the one we just talked about, three check. You know, recognizing mm-hmm. a threat. Oh, they're getting ready to check me. Now I've got my six-year-old, seven-year-old player looking at least one move ahead to notice the check. You know, that's a step, and you can build on that. Um, so I, I personally do not subscribe to the theory that variants are, are bad for your chess. You know, just like with everything else, it depends on how how you do it, not just what you're doing. Mm-hmm. All right, go Paul. This has been super fun. Men in on chess, episode two, final thoughts before we, before we close out and get out of here and and, uh, maybe go have some more uh, takeout.
0: (laughs) No, I think, I think we got it all. I mean, but at the same time, I feel like we only scratched the surface, you know, Um, I'd say people that are interested, like in some of these variants, like check out the Wikipedia article on, the list of chess variants you could get lost in that very easily um also piechess.org they have a lot of great variants um i'm looking at their like top players uh list right now like they have that Capablanca chess that s chess that we talked about but they also have like Capablanca blanca chess 960 or s chess 960 you know the sky's the limit and and inventing yeah, your I own awesome. we didn't
1: even talk about our own invention king of chess
0: oh right yeah but maybe then, that will be saved for next time I,
1: I think we have that that deserves its own episode honestly in itself
0: maybe. King, king of
1: chess is a, is a is a great one but but in coming up with your own variants too you know um i would encourage our listeners if you're if you're a fan of the show if you've been listening a while reach out let us know what what variants have you invented um what are the rules how does it work go paul every time i have one of these conversations i'm always shocked with how many variants I've never heard of that people have come up with that are like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Like, that's fun. You know, that's a fun thing to play. Uh, Secret yeah. Queen is a good example. The Bishop and Knight game is a good example. So if you have your own variant, reach out. Let us know. Uh, tweet us. At um, P. Karaganis, that's me. Go, Paul, what's your Twitter?
0: I don't know. Just find me.
1: <laughs> find me. He's easy to find. Um, he, he is on the Twitters, right? You are on the Twitter? Yeah. He's there. Um, he's lurking in the shadows and espousing his uh, opinions. So check him out. Uh, we'll, we'll get it in the show notes too. Uh, Gopal, this has been fun. Number
0: this two. was lovely. This
1: was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For Gopal Menon, I am your host, Pete Carianis. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a US chess podcast please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Carianos.